Hey, Stone Church, this is Kent Livingston, and I am back on a mini pod for the midweek. And uh, as I said, this is uh, this is actually a, a podcast that could really apply to anybody at Soma or anybody in, in the world, really, if you're a human, you have a pulse. But um, this is primarily these mini pods. I'm, I'm making these for someone downtown, so I have a couple announcements here at the beginning, which are going to be very... Soma downtown specific. Uh, so, uh, though, actually, now in the world of digital church, I guess anybody can participate. So, here we go. Announcements to everyone if you got a pulse. So, uh, first of all, we have tomorrow starting our 24 hour prayer initiative, which is Thursdays throughout the month of April. We are doing 24 hours of prayer um, where we have a, a Zoom link live where people can drop in and pray throughout the entire day of Thursday morning, 7 a.m to Friday morning at 7 a.m. And you, each hour we're trying to get a prayer lead to sign up for that time. And uh, we have some of the hours covered already, but we still need more. If we have more prayer leads, you can sign up. Uh, so many is weekly for downtown is where you get the link to sign up. But we have resources made for you with things to pray for, different ways to lead people in prayer. But it's basically just a time to pray for our our the, our, our people, the local, the, the state, the regional, the national, the global uh, of our world right now and just cover our, our situation, our time, our lives, our people, uh, and our world in prayer. So that's coming up. Good Friday is also this Friday, 6 p.m., digital gathering. We have a link going out uh, that will be coming out here later in the week as well as Easter Sunday. If it's Good Friday on Friday, that means it's Easter Sunday on Sunday. So that, as we announced last week, we're going to have a digital gathering again for downtown, but the link will be coming out. And it is a BYO, B and B-O-T-L, which is bring your own body and blood of the lamb. So uh, that means have a plan for communion because we're going to do communion as a community, but uh, we're not going to do it. Come and find me wherever I am. You are going to have your own bread and cup to participate in communion. So have something. It doesn't have to be uh, the traditional bread that we normally get at Soma. It doesn't have to be grape juice or wine. It can be wine, or it could be uh, you know. I mean, it's really with the bread and the cup. It's it's not so much about the bread and uh, like it actually being the right kind of bread. It's got to be rye and a Chianti. Uh, it's not like that was the point. Um, it's it can it can be anything. It can be Mountain Dew and a donut if you want. If you're um, you know in middle school in the '90s, and so either way, that is coming up this Sunday. Um, yeah, invite people. It's Easter Sunday. Invite people to church digitally, and then that's it's weird, but it is what it is. Either way, uh, I want to bring something to you today. And before I get to what it is, I'm going to set it up like this. I wanted to talk about the movie that I recently watched. A movie I recently watched, which, let's face it, we've all been watching lots of movies. And, or shows, or documentaries, or podcasts. Or maybe some of you have been reading. <laughs> Suckers. Uh, either way, uh, we have, uh, I, I watched the film First Reformed on Amazon Prime, for the subscribers out there. And First Reformed, I got the synopsis here. It is about the pastor of a small church in upstate New York spirals out of control after a soul-shaking encounter with an unstable environmental activist and his pregnant wife. Uh, this stars Ethan Hawke. Um, that synopsis, I feel, is a marketing ploy to make this movie 
sound much more action-adventure than it actually is. This movie is slow, and it is character-driven and artsy, and it has a really abrupt ending that you leave, leaves you scratching your head for a few minutes throughout the whole credits, really, being like, what, what happened there? Uh, I mean, you know, I, Sharon hated it uh, because she does hate these kind of movies, um, but I make them watch... I make her watch them because I loved it. Uh, you know, the, movie, the when, even when the ending came and I was sitting there the whole credits and it just made me think about it, the whole credits. I'm like, what just happened here? What are they trying to, what is the, the Paul Schrader, the, the writer and director trying to say? I thought about it for days. I'm still thinking about it. I'm talking about it right now. And either way, the movie as a whole, I would commend to you uh, unless you don't like slow, artsy, character-driven movies. Uh, in which case, uh, I don't know, stay away. Either way, uh, but I would commend to you otherwise. It is, I said to a friend recently, it's Paul Schrader did a really fantastic job both in writing and directing and capturing things. It's not, it, this is not a PG movie, by the way. This is a R-rated movie, uh, and if you are questioning why a pastor is recommending an R-rated movie, uh, email me. We'll have a side conversation. Either way, uh, and so it is. Um, it really displays doubt, faith, struggle, in a really beautiful way, with a very silent movie in many places. Lots of space, lots of lots of gaps in dialogue. Um, but yeah, uh, either way, regardless of the film itself. I want to talk about specifically one scene toward the end. It's not a spoiler. There is a scene where Reverend, Reverend Toller, uh, who is our uh, pastor of the small church in upstate New York, uh, aforementioned, he is contemplating the events of his life in the film. He's contemplating his potential imminent death, and he feels a certain level of guilt and despair and even a uh, twinge of a violent reaction bubbling up in him and as he does this there's a point where he pours Pepto-Bismol in a, a glass of whiskey or some amber liquid that we are left to find out whatever that is on the other side of attorney either way uh, and that moment is just a subtle moment on screen. Nobody, I didn't notice it until I heard a podcast discussing the film, which then turned me onto an article discussing the film, in which they key in on that Pepto-Bismol-filled pink whiskey. And the journey to Reverend Toller's pink bourbon or whiskey or whatever begins in 1947. I'm actually quoting for the article that I read on this right now. Uh, in which there is a Catholic guilt masterpiece called Odd Man Out by Carol Reed, that is the director. And it tells the story of Johnny McQueen, uh, who's robbing a bank to raise money for a cause, and then shot in the shoulder, or shot in the shoulder, and he falls out of his getaway car, uh, very similar to Hell or, uh, Hell, or High Water, Hell or High Water, if you've seen that film. Uh, and the director 
He uses images to show him show the hallucinations as he's dying, and he, they go back to this scene of which McQueen is sitting in a bar, and he spills his beer on the bar counter, and as he looks down at the bubbles, he starts seeing in the bubbles the face of a man that he's killed and other people that he knows condemning him to death and to guilt and all of a sudden he stands up and screams out in guilt and all these people look at him and they know not of the internal angst that's going in within him so that is a landmark achievement in film because it's the first time or at least the first time in modern film in which you see a a, a way of expressing a character's internal thinking on the screen by showing hallucinations and then showing him viewing life and through these bubbles as he's in real life dying and it's going back in his life and it's bringing that into the present and it's not saying a ton but it's in fact the things that it, you actually do here don't really seem to really progress the plot but then you take all that information back into the present and it, it gives you a, a view into his life without expressing it through dialogue without him being like dying and somebody coming up to him and he says come closer let me tell you my last dying wish and all that stuff and so it's it was yeah known at that point i mean people have written books and uh and film theses about this and have emulated it for years including uh the 1963 film by jean-claude Gardel. Uh, a French film, uh, which is two or three things I know about her. And in it, there's a scene in which a character, very stark scene, is sitting in a cafe. Uh, there's a woman who keeps looking at him, but he just stares down at his cup of coffee. And as he stares at his cup of coffee, he stirs it and he looks at how the bubbles form. And as the bubbles form, he stares at the bubbles and they slowly pop. And he there's this voiceover going of his voice in a whisper as if it's like this secret to the audience. And he's just whispering thoughts that have nothing to do with the scene, nothing to do with the woman, nothing to do with the coffee. They're just like French ennui, uh, existential despairing thoughts about the existence of humanity and how he desires to be known and loved and, and yet fails to be able to communicate and all this stuff. And again, it's this moment where I'm man is looking at and then instead of a bar a cafe but he's at sitting at the bar of this cafe staring into a beverage staring at the bubbles and a whether it be a voiceover of other characters or in this case the voiceover of this character is speaking things that you would otherwise not know and you're getting a view into his mind and so uh that is the next stop on our little journey and then we go even further into uh taxi driver uh, this is Martin Scorsese. Um, interesting to note, uh, Schrader, Paul Schrader, the director of uh, First Reformed, as we're talking about today, he actually uh, wrote Taxi Driver. In fact, he wrote most of Scorsese's really major uh, film achievements, Raging Bull, uh, Taxi Driver, Bringing Out the Dead. There was another one uh, that is escaping me now. But either way, Schrader is kind of like the writer behind Scorsese's genius. And he writes the film Taxi Driver, in which Scorsese, he picks up this conversation of this man or a figure staring into a bubbly drink. 
And he does it when uh, the character in Taxi Driver, uh, let's pull up my notes here because I, I have his name. Oh, no, I don't have his name. All right, well, regardless, uh, it's De Niro. And uh, his character's name, where is it? Uh, Travis, there we go. Travis, uh, 1976, taxi, taxi driver. Travis, he tells the stories at this diner to these other cab drivers about a guy who got cut up by a crazy guy in the cab. And all the other cab drivers are trying to convince him to buy a gun of his own for protection. And he takes a uh, Alka-Seltzer and drops it into his water and then just stares at the bubbles. And this time, instead of a voiceover, everything goes quiet. The conversation of the cab drivers telling him to buy a gun goes quiet, the background noise of the diner goes quiet, and it just starts focusing on these bubbles, and the bubbles get louder and louder. And he's staring at the bubbles in the Alka-Seltzer, and as he stares at them, you can see his mind break, and all of a sudden the moment of like violence is going to come out of me, which happens in the film. Uh, it just comes to him at that moment. And this is, again, now a conversation that we have starting in 1947, uh, and then picking up in 1963, and then continuing in 1976, and then Schrader picks it up in 2017 and first performed, in which you have now Reverend Toller, who is, again, a man contemplating things like guilt, despair, existential despair, violence, as he pours Pepto-Bismol, and the Pepto-Bismol bubbles up through his whiskey and he stares at the bubbles. And that's just silently put in the film and 99.9% .9 of people who watch it will never know that. But just sitting there for the observant viewer to solve the puzzle and to learn something of what he was saying in the film. And I, you're like, okay, Ken, this is... I guess maybe interesting film history class. Uh, you've got some time on your hands in COVID-19, don't you? Uh, well, yeah, actually no. But uh, I, I bring that up to say that is a really good metaphor for what scripture is like. Scripture is many different genres, as we know. I mean, when you're reading scripture, you're reading poetry, you're reading narrative at times, you're reading uh, discourse, and, and the thing is, is you're not necessarily reading like a whole book of poetry. I mean, some people think like, well, yeah, poetry is in the Psalms. Well, yeah, but there's actually some uh, narrative in the Psalms, there's some discourse, there's, uh, there's some poetry in Romans, which is normally thought of as a discourse book. Uh, there's some poetry in, there's tons of poetry, and there's tons of discourse in Exodus or Genesis, things that are thought of as more narrative books. That's those moments where you're like, what are they talking about all of a sudden? They all of a sudden shifted genres. And so if you go through the Bible, it's all different kinds of genres. But if you ask, and this is actually, I get this from the Bible Project, which I thought was a helpful uh, way of stating it. Um, and they say, what is the meta genre of scripture? And they'd say, it is Hebrew meditative literature. Meaning it is made by Hebrew minds, Hebrew spiritualists, in attempts to be meditated upon. And as you meditate upon it, things begin to 
draw out that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. I mean, think about it. Scripture is written very repetitively. It's written with common themes. It's written often in narrative form or, again, in, in, in poetic form. And these are all ways to be memorable, to be meditated upon to a very illiterate populace. You work in a field. You can't read. You hear a rabbi speak in, or declare uh, from the scroll of Isaiah or from Jeremiah and it's repetitive enough, it has enough common connections to your life that you're sitting there working the field weeks later and you're thinking about what he said. And you start thinking about it and you turn it over in your mind and you start noticing things that you didn't notice the first time you heard. And you think of Jesus and you think of the parables. He wrote, or wrote, he, he taught parables, which are filled with imagery and filled with imagery that were related to people's lives at the time and you're sitting there and you would hear a parable and you go away and you think about that parable and as you thought about that parable different stuff would start to unfold and you start to catch different layers or you'd have even think about it one year and then after a, a year of experiences or two years or five years of experiences you would all of a sudden think about that parable again and because of the experiences you've had, different things would unfold and different layers would come out and all of a sudden it would start to get richer. And then you would have moments of poetic imagery. And again, all these genres or concepts in the scripture are meant to stir your imagination and cause your imagination to turn in circles, to turn over scripture in, your, in, uh, in, in circles in your mind. You think of something as simple as the 23rd Psalm, the classic bookmark coffee cup verse of Christianity uh, or, or chapter of Christianity and the very first line of it the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want and you're like okay that's a really simple line the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want but then as you even start meditating on what does it mean that the Lord is my shepherd well what does a shepherd do well a shepherd watches over sheep the shepherd protects sheep from danger a shepherd gives a sheep everything they need, including food. A, a, a shepherd feeds the sheep. A, a shepherd binds the wounds of a sheep. A shepherd lives amongst the sheep. I mean, you can sit there for hours, particularly if you're intimately uh, acquainted with the life of a shepherd, which frankly I'm not. But even me, who's tangentially and just scripturally acquainted with it, knows that much. And for the people who actually were shepherds and are new shepherds, I mean, the layers are rich. And, and this all brings me to what I want to talk about of just a way to utilize scripture formation in the midst of this time or just your whole life. There is a form of studying scripture or meditating in Hebrew meditative literature that is scripture that has been passed down through the years called Lectio Divina. And it is a rich uh, tradition in the church of taking scripture and reading it reflecting, and then uh, resting. Uh, before that, you prepare. I forgot that. You prepare, you read, uh, you reflect, and you rest. And let me just briefly go through this and, and set you up and potentially practice this uh, maybe today or maybe uh, this week or, or maybe for the rest of your life. Um, I know I've gotten a lot out of it, and I continue to get a lot out of it, and this is a great time to... Put down the Netflix and uh, pick up some Lectio Divina. Maybe every once in a while. Maybe every third show, you're like, well, Lectio Divina, mix it up. You know, I don't know. Either way, uh, so Lectio Divina 
again, is a way to take scripture. And the way that you do it is first you prepare. And so the way that you prepare is you are preparing your mind, you're slowing your mind, you're quieting your mind, you're quieting your body, you're finding a place where you're like, okay, I can just get some quiet, get some place to reflect. Um, yeah, a good way to prepare for Lectio Divina is to pray. You're asking, uh, you're asking the Holy Spirit to open your mind to his, uh, his presence, to open it, uh, your mind to notice what he's doing. And then um, as you pray, you take a passage, and literally, you can do this with any passage, just for easiness sake. I've already mentioned Psalm 23. You can begin with Psalm 23. So you take Psalm 23, and you read it slowly, carefully, taking time to think about every image. Maybe you don't even get through all of Psalm 23. Maybe you just get through verses 1 and 2. And as you sit there and you reflect, you're doing what uh, Charles Spurgeon said when he said, I'd rather soak. Uh, there's nothing against reading the Bible through in a year and, and doing a, a quick read through to get a meta, meta view and a high level view of scripture. But yeah, he said, he said, you know, I'd rather soak in a verse of scripture than wash my hands in several chapters of it. And so it's taking the time to soak in a verse or two, or maybe a short chapter or passage in scripture. And then as you do, you reflect. And the reflection looks like two things. One, it's taking all those images, and as you read them and you look at those images, you let your imagination turn circles. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I just take want, and I think about the concept of wanting, and I think about how that is true of me, I think about that's true of this time, and I just take every, each and every image and I turn it over in my mind. I let it cause me associations. Because again, the Bible is hyperlinked. Every word, every story connects to several other words, several other stories. And they're all interacting with each other just like First Reform is, is uh, interacting with Carol Reed's film uh, from just 80 years prior. So it's all interacting, and so you take that, you turn it over your mind, it makes you think of different passages. Maybe you stop and you go to that passage, you read it, you think about the images there, you let it bring out things that you didn't see before. And then you read a second time, and rather than reflecting on the images here, now you're connecting it personally. I'm reflecting on the second reading, how do I connect this personally? What does it mean for me today? The, the things, the layers, what I've seen in the scripture, whether they're new or they're reaffirming of things I know before, how does this connect for me today? And then you rest, which is counterintuitive because normally you're like, all right, got done with scripture, you take the book, you slam it, you mic drop, and you walk away, and you go on with your life, and you get stuff done because, you know, darn it, you're an American and you got nothing to do right now, folks, so you don't do anything. But regardless, uh, whether you do, and I'm saying that for some people, some people are like, man, I'm working like a dog. I'm with you. But either way, uh, before you run off to work like that dog or, or stream like that dog, you rest, you sit, lit what just was read or what just unfolded to you, sink in. Let it hold in your mind an extra few moments and allow yourself to let it begin to inform the way that you start that moment, start that day, maybe even comes back to you several times throughout the day. Ultimately, Lectio Divina, if I could put uh, a, a concept, a core idea of what you're doing, it is the idea that complex beauty unfolds over time 
over patience, over meditation. I mean, think about maturity. A mature wine is something that the complexities have unfolded over time, over patience, over maturing slowly, marination of food, or a film image, or an idea in the scriptures. And so this is the concept of Lectu Divina. I hope this is something that you can take in this time, begin to practice it, and allow scripture to become a meditative practice that forms you into the image of Jesus.